But good morning. It is a spring day. God is in His heaven. Jesus is Lord. And grace is poured out upon us. Aren't we blessed people? Praise God for that. And on top of all that, <clears throat> what a day to celebrate Earth Day. On a day like this. I love the earth today. With the sun and everything. And the best thing we could ever do for the earth and you can read it in here, but do you know, I'm not a scientist, but talk to one of the scientists here. One tree eats so much carbon dioxide in a year and puts out oxygen. Just one tree. Uh, horticulturalist told me that once. I couldn't remember the numbers, but it's amazing. So we celebrate Earth Day. Mother's Day carnations. Uh, United Methodist women are accepting orders for Mother's Day carnations. You, in the narthex, you can uh, uh, fill out a form and put the form in the narthex in the drop box. May 7th, uh, Rock Out for Mental Health, a 5K run walk, the Rock McCullough Memorial. The registration is not too late to uh, donate and register for this. Also, a fun event always, a baby shower. A baby shower uh, honoring Lauren uh, Lauren. Churston, uh, who uh, will have a baby born to June and Julia Wickline, uh, will be having a baby boy in August. And, and so uh, this is going to be exciting, and there's a baby shower, and you can see all that. I know I just hacked that announcement up a little bit. You can see it right there. Vacation Bible School is coming up <clears throat> June 20th to 24th, and uh, I'm sure they still need help, and I think of their donation. Uh, if you want to donate to Vacation Bible School, you may do so as well. Let us prepare our hearts to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. morning. And if you would please stand as you're able for our call to worship. Peace be with you. Come and see the love that God has given to us. Come with this hope that Christ's presence is real. And you remain standing for our opening hymn, Easter People Raise Your Voices, number 304.
and join with me in our opening prayer printed in your bulletin. God, whom we have not seen, whose gifts we take for granted and misuse, speak to us your word of peace, that our inner turmoil may be still, our eyes opened, our ears alerted to make faithful response. May our witness be authentic, that the world may come to know your glory and dominion and respond with joyous obedience to your word. Amen. And our prayer hymn today is Up From the Grave He Arose, number 322.
If that doesn't make you feel like praying, nothing will, right? Join me as we pray. Almighty God, we thank You. We praise You for Your goodness. And we see Your goodness in all the seasons. But in spring, it reminds us of new life in Christ. No matter where we've been, no matter what our life was, how dead it was, You bring us back to life. You bring us hope. You bring us peace. And we praise You for that. But we also pray for those who have not found peace. Who have not found that new life in Christ. And we pray Your Holy Spirit will shine upon their heart the goodness of Your grace and the way to eternal life. We all need a touch of Your grace for help. Your wisdom to guide us and Your mercy to forgive us. For every day we fall short. Every day we fail in some way to fulfill the law of love. Loving You with all our heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And loving our neighbor as ourself. Help us to more reflect our Savior Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, for our country, for the country of Ukraine, still going through so much war. We pray for our institutions, our schools, our churches and denominations. We ask that Your light would shine, that Your will would be done, and that we would glorify You by the decisions we make and how we run the institutions that exist and how we operate in the public marketplace ourselves. We don't really know how to pray, but you've taught us how to pray, Lord, by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now we get to continue worship by preparing to give our tithes and offerings to the Lord.
join us in the prayer of dedication. For the breath of life, for eyes to see, for insight to believe, for courage to witness, we give thanks, gracious God. The signs of your presence are everywhere. Your glory and dominion are forever and ever. May this offering witness to your grace and peace. Grant your spirit as a transforming power among us that inspires, enables our service. Amen. And if you'll remain standing for our gospel lesson, it's taken from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 33 through 39. That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then Jesus appears to his disciples. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The word of God for the people of God.
That was magnificent, choir. It was beautiful. It adds so much to our worship. We thank you so much. You're wondering, gee, Pastor Andy has gotten so old and lost his hair. <laughs> That's right, those on YouTube, I've aged. No. My great privilege to uh, fill in for Pastor Andy this morning. And the passage that was read is the fourth uh, appearance of Jesus. And this passage, it's the only place in the New Testament this event is recorded except for three verses in John and it is just kind of skates over it. And the disciples are in self-imposed isolation, unbelief, fear, and confusion. And I see parallels to today. And as I go through this passage, I hope and I expect that you will be greatly encouraged by what Jesus has to tell us in this fourth appearance. And what I would like to do is have a moment of silent prayer that we prepare our hearts uh, for God to speak through his word. Let's have a moment of silent prayer. Amen. It has been just over two years, two years ago, 80 million people, 979,000 in the United States were alive who are now dead because of COVID or COVID-related illnesses. Today, the world seems like it's spinning out of control who even likes to watch the news anymore? Remember in the old days, even in the 60s, as bad as that was, my parents would sit in front of the 630 News. Remember that? Walter Cronkite or somebody else. But who likes to watch the news today? I don't know. The world is chaotic. Our country seems to be sliding towards Gomorrah. <clears throat> A war in Ukraine threatens the world. And we live in such a divisive culture that often families are torn asunder by political and religious divisions. The law of love seems to have been lost in all this. Satan is using everything at his disposal to daily push us toward unbelief. And unbelief looks like this. God is not worthy of my trust. His word is no longer valid. God is not good. I see people driven to unbelief where fear and helplessness and hopelessness and worthlessness and apathy and cynicism and isolation seem to thrive. And it's not just the unchurched. I see this in those who believed, who were raised in the church. Maybe you're there this morning. The disciples were. There have been moments and times I have been as well. 
This is our challenge, that despite cultural pressure, personal problems, daily stressors, that we may still live out our post-resurrection faith of love and faithfulness. That's the Christian challenge. And there's not a person in this whole congregation, and I don't even know all you all, but I can say this without fear or contradiction, there's not a person in this congregation who is not facing problems and worries and struggles and stressors, things that keep you up at night, things that have you distracted, things that you don't know how is going to work out. And sometimes you, like we all, struggle with hopelessness or helplessness or despair not knowing. So our challenge is to live in post-resurrection power of Christ. Jesus' appearance in this passage is amazing in that Luke paints an intimate portrait of unbelief of Jesus' closest followers who are emotionally, personally, and spiritually overcome by life's unexpected events. That's what it was. So what I first want to do is look at the first part of Jesus' visit and then what he uh, specifically told them to do or, or explained to them. In verse 36, and you can, you can refer to your um, handout if you need to track with me. I know, uh, I know it's hard to track. The preacher knows what he's going to say or she the preacher knows where they're going, but the congregation doesn't. And sometimes we can lose you. I don't want to lose you. So in verse 36, which is the next heading there in the scripture, the disciples, this is after the Emmaus, where Jesus appeared to the two disciples who rode to Emmaus. They come back and say, hey, we are going to Emmaus. This guy came up, this dude, but he was Jesus. And before that, Mary Magdalene, all they were at the tomb, they ran, they told the disciples. They're all cowered and hiding. And they're listening to this, and while the two disciples are telling them what happened, Jesus appeared. What did he say? Did he say, you bunch of losers, you abandoned me, every last one of you. Did he say, I spent three years pouring my life into you and this is the best you could do at my worst moment in my life when everybody had abandoned me you did too did you remember nothing I said how could I ever build a church with people like you every one of you are flawed no he didn't say that is that not amazing he said peace Shalom. Peace. Oh, Jesus. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve your peace. Peace be to you. And the scripture says they were startled and terrified. This word, I, I don't want to get into all the stuff that you probably don't even care about, that the Greek, but in the Greek, the terrified, we get the word, it's the word phobia, which you get the word phobia from. They were so afraid. You've had phobias, haven't you? I have a phobia against cockroaches. Bats don't bother me. Snakes don't bother me. Rats don't bother me. But see a cockroach and I'm running for my wife. Can you get it? I just don't like them at all. 
They were startled and phobia, terrified. They thought they were seeing a ghost. And then Jesus said to them, now this is just precious. He said, why are you frightened? Now in this version that we have, it's frightened, but it really doesn't give the good force of the word used here. It really is mean. It's not the same word uh, that is used for terrified. It really means troubled. And this is what I want to link this word to. This word Jesus used that is translated frightened in your version and troubled in mine. If you uh, were to look in John chapter 12, verse 27, the same word is used. Probably the only time in the New Testament this word's used. Jesus used it one other time in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now my soul has become troubled. Father, uh, if you can save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came, I'll glorify your name. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane in his darkest moment saying, if you would take this away from me, but not my will, yours be done. And it said Jesus was troubled. Okay. Jesus asked two why questions to the disciples. One is, why are you troubled? He links their trouble to the pre-crucifixion. He was saying, look, I was troubled so you would not have to be. I had that deep, deep dissonance, that deep, deep trouble. So you wouldn't have to be. But he says, why are you troubled? Same word. And then he says, why do you have doubts? We get this word, uh, uh, we, we get the word, this logia in Greek, it's logic, it's conversation. He's saying they're having this internal debate. And he says, why are you troubled? And why are you having this eternal debate that's arising in your hearts? This is, you know, his fourth appearance. And then he says this. He doesn't say, you know, you really ought to believe. <laughs> we love the oughts, don't we? We, we love the parents. We love oughts. You know, you ought not to do all that. We love oughts. He didn't do the oughts, really. He said, look at my hands. Look. They're, they're troubled. They're debating what's going on. He says, just look at my hands. Touch them. Look, look at my legs, my feet. He wanted every opportunity for them to believe. And yet, the most amazing thing, they still did not believe. They did not believe. They were disbelieving and still wondering. Because they couldn't figure out what's going on. But they did not believe that he had risen from the dead. Why did they not believe? I gave this some thought. And I think I know why they did not believe. Put yourselves in the sandals of the, the disciples. You follow this Jesus. Every disciple except Matthew, I think, was probably uh, really blue collar. And Matthew was not. He was a tax collector. But uh, they followed Jesus for three years. And they saw Jesus stick it to the hypocrites. Isn't it great? I love it when hypocrites get really you know, stuck unless I'm the hypocrite. I don't like that very much. But if I'm not the hypocrite, I really like when other hypocrites really get jabbed. And Jesus was jabbing the Pharisees and the scribes. And they saw it. They were cheering, yeah. 
He was going and, and feeding 5,000 with, with, with fish and some loaves of bread. The blind were coming to him and, and the Pharisees were saying, no, don't heal on the Sabbath, it's a holy day. Boom, you can see. And the Pharisees get mad and the disciples, yeah, go Jesus. He goes in the temple and he, he tips over all the money changers. He raises people, Lazarus from the dead. You know, they're all laughing. Oh, you're nuts. You're crazy. This guy's dead. He stinks. And he raises him from the dead. Oh, whoa. And the disciples see this. Oh, he put them in their place. At every turn, Jesus showed the power that he had as the Son of God. But when it came down to where he could start his kingdom, they followed him. They were tired of Roman rule. They were tired of the secularity, the, the worldliness, the evilness of the Roman rule. The Romans didn't live like the Jews. The Romans didn't have religion like the Jews. The Romans were not monotheistic like the Jews. And it was about time they could get rid of the Romans. And Jesus would reign. But when it came time for that, he was arrested and he was silent. They took him to the religious authorities for the trial and he was silent. They took him to the criminal trial to Pilate and he was silent. They beat him and he was silent. He went to the cross and he was silent. And they nailed him to the cross and he was silent. I say not absolute silence. He said a few words, but not much. And then he died. That's not what was supposed to happen. They couldn't get past the silence. They couldn't get past the quote-unquote weakness. They couldn't get past the fact that Jesus did nothing. But here's the thing. When Jesus did nothing, he did everything. When Jesus did nothing, he did everything. He was obedient to God. He descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again. Do you know what was... I know you won't identify with this, but I'll say it anyway. The problem with the disciples had been they were expecting political solutions to spiritual problems. That was the problem. Our country's problems are not political. They're spiritual. Our country's problems aren't who is president or what party rules. Our country's problem is spiritual. God's people need to rise in prayer and pray and be the people God has called us to be and be the light on the hill to live the law of love and demonstrate the power of the resurrected Christ. Now, for the best part, after this, then Jesus says, he says this, he said to them, this is so important. Verse 44, he said to them, because this is basically the last time Jesus speaks to them. What's he going to say? Oh, there's so many things you can say. Someone's going to leave. Not, you're not going to see him again. What are you going to say? You would think that what you're going to say is very important, right? You're going to say the most important things, what you want people to remember. And he says three 
important things. And these, I hope, will encourage and, and direct us to help us live out the Christian life in a secular culture. You notice he says this. The first thing he says is, these are my words I spoke to you. And then he talks about everything written in the prophets. The Psalms are fulfilled. What is he saying? He's saying that the Scripture is inspired. The Scripture protects us from unbelief. The Scripture, this is not just words. It's the Word of God. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jesus affirms this. The, the infallibility the, or the truth of Scripture. And then he said, he, the Scripture says, He opened their minds so that they could understand or comprehend the Scripture. I mean, why are we here? We come to worship, not primarily for fellowship, although we love each other. I love seeing people here. We come to worship not to sing about God. We come to worship to sing to God. We don't come to worship to pray about God. We come to worship to speak to God. Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. The Holy Spirit interceding for us. That's why we come. We don't come to, to uh, have a motivational speech. We come to be infused with the Holy Spirit that we can go out and live for Christ. That's worship. That's why we're here. And in this, when he's talking about the Scripture, he uses, uh, now I'll really get three infinitives, three things to do. First, he said he came to suffer. Verse 46, that is mind-blowing what he said, I came to suffer. Jesus was singled out for the worst suffering, devastating betrayal, demeaning ridicule, public humiliation, vicious beatings, torturous death, descent into hell. But here's what just blows my mind. From an early age, he knew this was his destiny. That's not exactly true. He knew it was his choice. Jesus could have chosen not to. And he voluntarily chose that path. That is obedience. And then the second infinitive, not only to suffer, he came to rise. This is why we follow Christ. Our greatest need. We live in post-resurrection. There is no Christianity if there is no resurrection. The resurrection validates everything Christ said. That we serve a risen Savior, Christ the Lord. The second thing is that Scripture protects us from unbelief. And in fact, I'll say this. That prayer, Scripture, worship is our vaccine against unbelief and Every time we come to worship, every time you utter a prayer to God, every time you open his holy word, every time you live out the golden rule and love, you're getting a booster shot of belief. It boosts our faith. Second thing he says, oh, I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to say it because Jesus said it. Of all the things to say, he, he, he highlighted the truth of Scripture. And then he says this, um, the Messiah is to suffer and to rise, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed to all nations. Oh, did he have to say that? Ooh. Repentance and forgiveness of sin. 
How about if I just get better self-esteem? Our problem is not low self-esteem. Our problem is sin. That is our problem. Sin will destroy every good thing in our lives. Sin is unbelief. And our only risk uh, to get through that is to live a life in Christ. Because you could, every problem in the world is because of sin. It's because of sin. Whatever deficits you have or the mistakes you've made or me, it's because of sin. Any problems in a church is because of sin. Any problems in your family is because of sin. That is the problem. We're born into sin and we're saved from sin and Satan wants to draw us back into that. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin and third, I'm not going to say finally because then I see, oh my God, he's almost done. Third, because you think I only have three points, right? Because every preacher has three points. What if I have 40 points? I'm not going to tell you. Okay, third point. (laughs) Not point. The third thing I discovered, verse 49 the Holy Spirit I'm sending to you. The Holy Spirit protects us from unbelief. See, we got a big problem. You and I have a really, and y'all too, the choir, they have the same problem. We all have big problem. And the big problem is we can't live the Christian life. We can't do it. I can't love my neighbor as myself. I can't love the Lord my God with my heart, soul, mind, spirit. I can't live the Christian life, and neither can you, unless the Holy Spirit helps us. That is the only way. We can't forgive properly without the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything right without the Holy Spirit. We can't live the Christian life without the fellowship and connection of the Holy Spirit and with fellowship and connection in the church that God has ordained as an imperfect means to live out, help us live out the Christian faith. The resurrection of Christ empowers us to live a life of faith and hope. Christ shows us the veracity of Scripture, the necessity of repentance, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll save my 37 other points for another day. Please, you may stand and turn in your hymns to number 310. Be lit.
Yeah. 